Well, you're probably well aware that the Christian life can be full of ups and downs. Sometimes the joys can be almost inexpressible, and I think we felt some of that this morning. Inexpressible joys, as God gave us uh, music and other ways to express our joy to Him. And while the discouragements can be almost unbearable. Some of you have heard this story before about a missionary several years ago. She was sitting in her second-story window, and uh, she was feeling down that day and, and depressed and discouraged about things, and someone came in and handed her a letter from home. As she opened the letter, a crisp new $10 bill fell out. She was pleasantly surprised as she read the letter, but her eyes were distracted by the movement of a shabbily dressed stranger down below. He was leaning against a post in front of the building, and she couldn't get him off her mind. And thinking that he might be in greater financial stress than she was, she slipped the bill into an envelope on which she quickly penned, Don't despair. And she threw it out the window. The stranger below picked it up, he read it, he looked up at her, smiled, tipped his hat at her, went his way. And the next day she was about ready to leave the house when a knock came at the door. And she found that same shabbily dressed man smiling as he handed her a roll of bills. And when she asked what they were for, he replied, that's the 60 bucks you won, lady, don't despair, paid five to one. (laughs) God works in mysterious ways. But it is true that the Christian life has an upside and it has a downside. And for example, on the positive side, the upside, just as we kind of glance at these verses, we we rejoice in hope, Romans 12, 12. We rejoice with those who rejoice, verse 15, but we also what? Weep with those who weep. And we are called by the mercies of God, verse 12, to persevere in tribulation. After all, the Lord Jesus warned, in this world you have tribulation, but what? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. I like the way it reads in the King James Version. Be of good cheer. In other words, don't despair. So please turn once again to Romans chapter 12, the 12th verse. In a first glance, in that 12th verse, it might seem that Paul quickly gives three important but somewhat disconnected admonitions on how to live the Christian life. We are to live the Christian life, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. On account of God's mercies toward us, we are to rejoice in hope, we are to persevere, and we are to pray. Now these three admonitions really are closely related for hope, perseverance, and prayer our natural partners. And I want to give it to you succinctly here, and then we'll come back and look at it more deeply. But I want you to get a sense of how interconnected hope, perseverance, and prayer are. You see, on the upside, even as we rejoice in hope, where we more and more gain confidence in God's promises, where we live in the joy of the promises that God has for us, we recognize there's a downside. And the downside is that the path to the culmination of hope is strewn with tribulations. Strewn with tribulations. And so Paul, ever being the realist, knows this. And so here, as he does elsewhere, he quickly moves from hope to the need for perseverance. 
And at the same time, we realize that our ability to continue to rejoice and bear up under our tribulation is dependent upon the degree to which we heed Paul's challenge to persist or persevere in prayer. So now before we get into this more deeply, please turn back to the 8th chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 8 at the 24th verse. Because I want you to see this same sequence in the 8th chapter of hope, perseverance, and prayer and their interconnectedness. So first of all, Paul talks about hope in verse 24 of Romans chapter 8. He talks about hope. He says, For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, if we hope for what we do not see, what? There it is. With perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. It takes perseverance, it takes endurance to wait eagerly for what we hope for. And our ability to depend or to wait eagerly is dependent upon what? Prayer. And here, so much dependent upon prayer that the Holy Spirit takes over for us. That familiar verse in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So now turn back to the fifth chapter of Romans. Go back to chapter 5 of Romans. Romans chapter 5, the first verse. Romans chapter 5 begins with that great verse, and having been justified by faith, we have peace of God. And here we see once again the interconnectedness of hope and perseverance. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope, hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. So here we see, once again, hope and perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. we just become full, come full circle. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So first of all, we see that the mercies of God call us to rejoice in hope. All those things that God has done for us that we've shared over the past few weeks and we saw in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, all the mercies of God call us to rejoice in hope. And so first of all, I want you to see that our joy is rooted in hope. Our joy is rooted in hope. So let's get a good look at this root of joy. And when we distinguish between joy and hope and see how they're related, it's like hope is the soil or the rock on which joy is deeply rooted. Hope is the ground where joy grows. And we see that in verse 2 here of Romans chapter 5, where he says, Through whom also we have obtained, through Christ also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult or we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
we exult, we rejoice, where? In. In the hope of the glory of God. Our joy is rooted in our hope. Now, if you think of hope as some nebulous or hazy thing, like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, or I hope the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Guys probably wondered if I was going to mention that again today. You know, I really didn't stress very much at the Super Bowl as long as the 49ers were winning and winning handily. You know, but when, when they started to come back, you know, I go, I hope they win, I hope they win. And then the stress just got horrible. So it's not, it's not that kind of hope because that's a, pretty good, that's a pretty crummy thing to root our hope in. <laughs> you know, the, their ability to win. You see, in Scripture, hope is a rock-solid surety. It's a confident trust rather than an uncertain expectation. In fact, the second coming of Jesus Christ is called in Scripture the blessed hope. According to Titus 2.13, we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is Jesus coming again? Yes. He will appear in glory, right? That is our hope. It's a sure thing. We know that. So turn over to Hebrews chapter 6 for a moment. The sixth chapter of Hebrews, beginning at the 17th verse. Here the writer is appealing to the unchangeableness of God. God does not change. He doesn't change his purposes. He doesn't change his promises. He doesn't change in any way whatsoever. And so verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 6 says, In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise. Now stop right there for a minute. Who are the heirs of the, prom heirs of the promise? Who's going to inherit everything that God has promised? We are. we are. Amen. As believers, we are. And so he shows us the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath, interposed with an oath. Verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things, in which is it impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. And what is that hope we are to take hold of? Verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. It's almost like hope and Jesus are seen as the same thing here because our hope is so much a part of Jesus and what he has done. As Jesus entered the veil, that means he's going into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of the Father. What? Where he does all kinds of things for us. He makes intercession for us. He, he, he came into the presence of the Father after the crucifixion, as it were, after the resurrection, and said... It, it is finished, it is done, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. And then he adds, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The hope set before us is Jesus himself, which is both sure and steadfast. It's an anchor to the soul, and our joy is rooted in this hope, this hope which anchors our soul. And so this is so crucial to see that our joy is rooted in hope. So what does that mean? It means in a practical sense, in an applicable sense, that for the Christian, things can go really, really bad right now. 
They can, they, you know, she can even imagine. You know, all of us know how it's going bad, but it can go really bad and yet not rob us of our joy. The joy is the joy of hope. As Christians, we set our hearts on how good it will be in the age to come, for one thing. How good it will be when we are in the immediate presence of Jesus Christ and we see him face to face. And that is why as Christians, we can rejoice in tribulation, not just in how our health is right now, not just what our peace is right now, not just what our security is right now, those kind of things. And it's really great how this works. Tribulation drives the roots of joy down into hope. The more the tribulation, the deeper the roots go down into hope. And then joy streams back from the roots and lightens every load. And so joy is, or joy in tribulation is possible because of the ground and goal of Christian hope. What, is, what do I mean by that? The ground and the goal. Let me give you just a brief illustration and then we'll talk about it. The ground and the goal. If we were to say we were part of the Union cause in the Civil War, we might say General Ulysses S. Grant is our hope for victory. Sam Grant is our hope for victory. In that sentence, Ulysses S. Grant is the ground of our hope. We are trusting in him as the general of the army to, to make the right decisions, to fight the battles, to win the battles. We are trusting in him as the basis and ground of our hope. And victory is the goal of our hope. So what is the ground and goal of our Christian hope? Let's go back to Romans chapter 5, fifth chapter of Romans again, where we were reading before. Because Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tells us what the ground of Christian hope is. This is what we, where joy's roots go down in deeply. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the ground of our hope. Justification. That big word again, justification. It means that God declares us righteous on the basis of Christ's blood and righteousness. We will stand before God as righteous. And then Paul adds in verse 6 here of this fifth chapter, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Herein is the ground of our hope. It's been called the great exchange, and I think that's a good way to see it. When Jesus died on the cross, all your iniquity was laid on him. Jesus took on every sin you and I ever committed, every dirty little secret, every lie you ever told, black, white, gray, or otherwise, every bad deed you ever did, every bad thought you ever thunk, to use bad language. And, and Isaiah says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. For each of us turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all your sin upon himself. And when you receive him by faith, 
Having taken all your sin upon himself, he clothes you with his, what? Righteousness. With his righteousness. That's called imputed righteousness. Now you understand justification and you understand imputed righteousness. Our sin for his righteousness. That's the great exchange. What a deal. The deal of the ages. Isaiah put it this way. What was his response? I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. Great joy in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland. As a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You know, think of it this way. As a believer in Jesus Christ, what does God see when he looks at you? What does he see? What are you wearing? You are wearing the righteousness of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30, By God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So it begs the question, what are you hoping for? As you sit right now, what are you hoping for? Because one day you will stand before God. You will stand before God. And he's going to be, in that instance, a judge, a righteous judge. How are you going to face him? How will you plead? How can you be good enough? And, and your conscience whispers now what it will scream in that day, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You see, there's only one basis of acceptance with God. There's only one way to be accepted by God. Only one way to the hope eternal life. Namely, justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And if you put your trust in anything else, you're a goner. You're a had. You'll live your life now without hope, and without hope you will perish. As Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.12, before they, you came to Christ, he says to them, you had no hope and you were without Christ in the world. And without hope, nobody survives. When people lose their hope, whatever their situation is, that's when they give up. When they have no hope, they totally give up. People die because they have no hope. And without hope, we break under the pressure of tribulation. We have no perseverance. Years ago in 1927, there was an S-4 submarine that was accidentally rammed by a Coast Guard cutter off the coast of Massachusetts, and the submarine, submarine sank immediately. And the entire crew of 40 men was trapped in a prison house of death. And every effort was made to rescue the crew, but all ultimately failed. All they had those days was those deep-sea divers that put on those big helmets and those little, little big, uh, whatever they call them, <laughs> you know, and they had hoses that ran to them, and they went down deeply. And there wasn't any of these vessels that could go down deeply and attach itself anywhere to a submarine like that. And everything just ultimately failed. And Near the end of the ordeal, there was a deep-sea diver who was doing everything in his power to find a way for the crew's release, and he thought he heard a tapping on this, the steel wall of the sunken ship, and so he put his big helmet up against the, the wall of the ship, and he realized that it was Morse code, and he attached himself to the side, and he spelled out in his mind the message that was tapped from within, 
he was the question was from within is was is there any hope is there any hope for those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins the submarine is symbolic of their spiritual lost eternal condition if your ground of hope is not in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then there is no hope. Because there's only one basis of acceptance with God, only one ground of Christian hope, and it's the righteousness of Christ. And that is the point of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 6. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That is our ground of hope. That is our ground of hope. Now the goal or the object of our hope is at the end of, of verse 2 of Romans chapter 5. The end of the second verse. Where he says, And we exalt or we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The goal is the glory of God. You see, the ultimate hope of our human hearts is not forgiveness, as wonderful as that is, and, and we need to be forgiven our sins. It's not justification that we are declared righteous as we are. That's not the, the ultimate hope of the human heart. And it's not getting to go to heaven or freedom from disease, or freedom from sin, and all those wonderful things, the ultimate hope of every human heart is the glory of God. It's the glory of God. You were made, you were created to see and savor the glory of God. That you will live life now and for all eternity, that you might see God's glory and savor it with ever-increasing joy. You might remember that from the Westminster Confession. The chief end of man is what? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope. And then Romans 5, 2 completes the thought, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That is our hope. Its ground is the blood and righteousness of Christ by which we are justified by faith. The goal or object is the glory of God. That one day we will experience Jesus Christ face to face and we will see him in all his glory. Rejoice in hope. And Christian joy flows from this hope. Or you could say Christian joy is directed towards this hope where hope and Jesus are really seen as one and the same. Now you might wonder, well, what about the other things we can rejoice in? You know, is this too limiting? Shouldn't we rejoice in some good things now? Is, is rejoicing in hope just about the things to come? Is all our rejoicing in hope, aren't there other things that we should rejoice for? You probably weren't even thinking that question until I brought it up. But I, I'm going to paraphrase some thoughts from, from Pastor John Piper on this. Because <clears throat> he talked about, you'll remember that after the shepherds visited the stable, and they saw the infant Jesus. Go back to Christmas time, the shepherds, 
all their excitement as they saw the angels and heard that, that great message from the angels. And they, they ran to find Jesus in the stable. And they saw infant Jesus. They saw in a veiled form because of human flesh, they saw the face of God. The face of their Redeemer. And they went back glorifying and praising God. They had received the good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. And they were experiencing this great joy, as we could say, in the face of Jesus. Now when the Magi saw the star standing over the place where the child was, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And this telling this, Matthew just heaps one description of joy on top of another. He just goes to a superlative of joy. They rejoiced very much with mega joy, is what it says literally. So what was the ground and the basis of both the joy of the shepherds and the magi? Is it the same or are there, are there differences when it comes to our joy? And I like the way that John Piper explained this. He asked, is all our joy rejoicing in hope? I'll add, in other words, is all our joy rejoicing in the hope that we have and what is, is to come? And, and Piper continues, I think there are two ways to answer that question. There's a shepherd way and a wise man way. The shepherds had little or nothing. The wise men had gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's a way to rejoice in hope when you have nothing, and there's a way to rejoice in hope when you have much. The shepherd way is this. If tribulation is normal, then Paul needs to stress that joy will flow from hope, not from the present good times. The present is hard. And again, I say, if you don't think this is true, you will someday. And if life is hard, we can either give up on joy or we can get it from hope. Paul would not have us give up on joy. He commanded it over and over. Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in hope echoes Paul's conviction that life is hard. Tribulations are normal, but a glorious coming that will make it worth it all. As I read this, I thought, it will be worth it all what? When we see Jesus. And he continues, the other way to explain this phrase, rejoice in hope, the wise man way, is to say that even in those seasons when pleasures abound, they all point to the creator and goal of pleasure, Christ himself. Christ will be experienced most fully in the future. We enjoy his fellowship now in measure, but then face to face, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. All future joy will be found in Christ, and all present joy points to that future of fullness in Christ. If it doesn't, he says, it's an idol. So I say with the Apostle Paul, whether in pain or pleasure, rejoice in hope, the hope of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so that's the upside. We rejoice in hope. We gain more and more confidence in God's promises, and we live in the joy of the promises of what, what uh, God has done for us and continues to do for us. But there's, there's also a downside. The downside is that the path to the culmination of hope is strewn with tribulation. And so Paul moves quickly, much more quickly than I did in the last half hour, from hope to the need for perseverance. And so he says in uh, Romans chapter 12, in the 12th verse, By the mercies of God we live the Christian life, 
rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. Because we rejoice in hope, we are able to persevere in our tribulation. The word persevere here, or to persist, means to stay under, to remain under. We can stay under the pressure, we can stay under the test, because we know what's coming. We can endure the trouble, the tribulation. Here the word is flipsis, which literally means pressure. We, we, that's the word pressure. We can stay under the pressure, rejoicing in our hope and serving the Lord. And because we, well, we see what's coming and we know what the promises of God are, we rejoice. We rejoice. We have to go through some things. Amen? We have to endure the pain. We have to endure the rejection. We have to endure the animosity. We have to endure the struggle with Satan and his demons and all those things that defy what we want to do for the glory of God. But that's not the end. For someday there will be an eternal victory and we hope in that. And it is that joy that allows us to stay under the pressure. To stay under the pressure. And while we're under the pressure, verse 12 says... We are devoted to prayer. We are devoted to prayer. It all flows together, doesn't it? One of the reasons the Lord allows us to stay under the pressure is what? So we stay in communion with him. When we're not under the pressure, we kind of forget, don't we? <laughs> we forget to pray. We forget to give God the I mean, we do all kinds of things when things are going, going pretty well. But when we're under the pressure... We don't forget. We don't forget. And I like the way that John MacArthur says it as we conclude with this. He says, If you don't spend time communing with the Lord, it may be because you're not under the pressure. And you may not be under the pressure because you're not in the service of God. And if you're, not in, the, and if you're in the service, maybe you're not doing it with great zeal and a fervent spirit. He says, I promise you this. If you're in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ as a bond slave to him and you're doing it with all your heart and you're doing it with excitement and enthusiasm, you're going to be in the midst of trouble and in the midst of pressure. And in the midst of that, you can stay under it with rejoicing and hope because you know what's coming. And he says, and I'll tell you, in the midst of that, you're going to spend time bringing those things to the Lord and being sustained to him. And the idea here in the phrase devoted to prayer means to constantly attend to prayer. To continue, present tense, steadily or literally. To continue instantly, literally. Constantly in prayer. And this is where life becomes sort of an open communion with God. The channel's always open. The lines are always open between you and God. There's an open channel between you and God. And, and something is said, and immediately a prayer response is offered silently or vocally to God. It's just a way of living. Something comes to your mind about your children or about someone you're worried about, and a prayer response is offered to God. You're singing in the worship service, or you're listening to the message. And you offer a prayer to God, not the God help the pastor, not that kind of prayer, <laughs> but the kind of prayer where God touches your heart. I do appreciate your prayers. I don't mean it that way. You know, you're getting ready to do something or, or make a difficult phone call and, or whatever it is, and you ask God to strengthen you, to give you wisdom. 
for the words to stay. You face a trial and an obstacle, tribulation, and life becomes an open communion where you're totally dependent upon God. Someone has called that spiritual breathing. Spiritual breathing. We just keep offering up to God. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Have you ever found that when God's really trying to tell you something, that he tells you over and over and over? Well, it happened yesterday morning, Saturday morning at the men's Bible study. We went to 1 Thessalonians chapter, what is it, chapter 5, verse 16. Chris brought that up. This morning in Sunday school class, once you know it, Chris brings it up again. And I've been thinking about this same verse all week, and so I'm going to close with this. It's, it's very simple, very simple, but very profound. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray? Father, we, we thank you that you haven't left us on our own to try to figure things out, Father, and especially when we're going through difficult times and struggles and we're under the pressure, Father, that, yeah, that can affect our happiness. Happiness is dependent upon happenings. And if things aren't happening the way we want them to or those happenings are hurting us or it's very difficult, Lord, that's not where our joy comes from. Our rejoicing, our joy is in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and his righteousness. Our rejoicing and joy is rooted deeply in him. And Father, we, we thank you that when we are under the pressure, when it seems like things are closing in and it hurts and the pressure hurts and it's painful, we thank you that we can pray to you, God, that you sustain us, you fulfill us through Jesus Christ and with your Holy Spirit, Father. But all of that is not the source of our joy. We look for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. For one day we will stand before you before your throne, and we will see in the face of Jesus, the face of God, in all your glory, in all your glory. And Father, we thank you that we can rejoice in that now and forevermore. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>